0: to be here. This is the first time my parents have ever actually seen me preach. Not that it happens that often, but um, I'm grateful that the two times kind of uh, came together. Um, My name is Emmy, if I haven't met you yet. Um, My husband, Graham, and I serve on the eldership team here at Glenridge. And um, yeah, it's just in light of my parents being here, um, being part of this community is really the highlight of their trip, other than, of course, seeing me. Um, and my children and my husband, and maybe a a safari. But Glenridge truly is the highlight. And um, just with everything that's been happening the last, really the last month, we we don't want to miss a single Sunday because we're like, revival is breaking out and we want to be there. So um, we want more, Lord. Keep it coming. So thank you to the Glenridge community for just being amazing and for being... um, yeah, just such a warm welcome for my parents. It, it is, Glenridge truly is a revelation for them. And they love being here every time they come. So much so that next weekend, the Albrechts are taking South Africa by storm. My sister and her husband are actually ministering in India at the moment. And they're going to swing through Durban for the weekend on their way back to the States. <laughs> so, yeah, next weekend... Tess and Matt will be with us. My mom and dad will be with us. So there's a lot of excitement in the Tetter household, as you can imagine. So we continue on this morning in our series of Joshua of claiming on our inheritance and taking ground. And this series for me has been incredibly profound, personally, for us as a family, but for me personally. And I really believe that it has been a word in season um, for Glenridge. And right in the middle of the book of Joshua, that's where we're going to find ourselves. It's chapter 15. Um, in the midst of all the land divisions of Israel's inheritance, according to the allotments of tribe, of their tribe and their family, we, see, um, we come across a seemingly random story about a bride, a groom, and a father. So this morning we're going to do three things. We are going to um, go ahead and get into this story. We're going to read it and try to understand what's happening in the moment. And then we're going to take a step back and just look at the broader picture and highlight the people and the place and see if this story maybe has any parallels or similarities to maybe another story we know. And um, thirdly, we are going to take a further step back and just see how this story can speak into our story now. So um, without further ado, if you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 15, verses 16 to 19. All right, and Caleb said, The one who attacks Debir, the city formerly known as kiriath Safur, and captures it, I will give him Axel, my daughter, as a wife. So this is straight up, is like literally something straight out of a Disney movie where the prince comes and he slays the dragon and he wins the hand of the princess because he has won the victory. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it, so he gave him Axaw his daughter, as a wife, and commentators say that Othniel had always loved Axel, which is why he was the one who made sure he fought and won the battle so that um, she could be his bride and he could have her as his own. It came about that when she came to him, so this is actually their wedding night, they've been married and the groom is coming to the father's house to claim Axaw his bride, and take her back with him to where they're going to live. And while they were going, she persuaded him, or she persuaded her husband to allow her to ask her father for a field. So she alighted from the donkey. Um, she hastily, suddenly, she leaps down off of her donkey and she kneels humbly for, before the father. And instantly, Caleb, her dad, says to her, What do you want? What can I do for you? What would you like? Other translations say. His response isn't out of irritation, but he's very attentive and he responds openly to her because he's watching her. He sees what's going on. And then she said, give me a blessing. Give me another gift or do me a special favor. Since you have given me the land of the Negev, give me also springs of water. So she's basically saying, thank you so much for our wedding present, you know, the Negev. Um, but actually, I mean, we're so grateful, we really appreciate it, but could we um, have more? Um, so, <laughs> You've already given us land, will you also give us springs? Now, some may see this act and think that, um, and think how brazen and spoiled AXA is. But I tend to see our AXA not as a child who's taking liberties with her father, but as a daughter who's taking responsibility over her inheritance. And that falls right in line with everything we've been speaking about. Individually, friends, we need to be taking hold of the inheritance that God has for us so that together in him we can be taking ground in all that God has for us. And not being on the brink of revival, but being in the midst of revival. So she's taking responsibility over her inheritance, and she's got, um, she's thinking ahead, she's got the bigger picture in mind, and she knows the favor that she has with her father, and this is the best part of this whole story. Here's the father's response. It's the last sentence in verse 19. It says, so he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) So he doesn't just give her one area with springs. She asks for springs, and he doesn't just give her what she asks for. He actually doubles the portion of her extra blessing already. He gives her two very valuable pieces of land with springs, the upper springs and the lower springs, so that her inheritance can be watered from both sides. And these springs would enable the newlyweds and this new family that was just been formed to be fruitful, to multiply, and to cultivate the land of their inheritance. All right, so that's our story. We're going to take a little step back now, and let's just take a look at the people in the place and see if we can see any similarities between this story and maybe another story that we know. So the place of victory, Debir, that's where Othniel won and fought the battle. The name Debir is actually also the nickname that the Israelites have for the section of the temple where God's spirit dwelt, the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was surrounded by a really heavy, um, thick drape, which is called the veil, and that separated God's presence from God's people. So, Jebeer, the Holy of Holies, um, not technically the Holy of Holies, but it's the same name, um, that's the place of victory. And now we move on to Caleb. I love that last Sunday night, if any of you were here, Jan actually preached on Caleb, this man of perseverance Um, Six times, Sheena sent this to me this morning, six times it's recorded of Caleb, that he fully followed the Lord. That his courage, his tenacity, his perseverance, his devotion for God, surely all of those things were also imparted to his only daughter, Axel. Which is why she's so amazing in our story and so tenacious in her requests. Um, So he is known as the faithful one and he is the one who gives the bride to the victor. And now we've got, um, let's just talk about Axel. So Axel is his only daughter. And so you can imagine how much he cherished her, um, how she would be the apple of his eye. And her name has two meanings. It means adorned and bursting the veil. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. And now we've got Othniel, our bridegroom, the victor who wins the bride. Um, Judges three is, actually tells us a lot more about him. It says, "The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he is actually raised up as Israel's deliverer. and he becomes the, um, the first judge over the nation of Israel. and he is the one who brings peace to the land and peace to the people. He's from the tribe of Judah, and his name means the Lion of God." So here's the story. We've got the city of Debir the Holy of Holies, that has been closed to Israel. But because Othniel, the Lion of God, fought and won the battle, he opened up a way, giving them access to this place. And because of the victory, the bridegroom is coming back to claim his inheritance and his bride. And the father, the faithful one, has given a special gift to the bride. And it is a gift that will bring life and equip her to be fruitful in her inheritance. Is any of this ringing a bell to anyone else? Does it sound a little bit familiar? Um, Kevin Holloran says that the Bible is one book that tells one story that culminates in one person, Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament, it prepares the way and it points to Jesus. It points to Christ, but in a way that shows a shadow of Jesus. Whereas in the New Testament, it reveals and explains who he is. And that Jesus is the reality, not the shadow, that we get to live and experience because of what he did. So because of Jesus, he is the Lion of Judah, the Great Deliverer, the Prince of Peace, the Ultimate Judge over all the earth, whose victory at the cross over sin and death Tore the veil of the Holy of Holies, forever giving us access to God through him. And he is coming back for his bride, which is us, the church. And we are adorned with the splendor and the glory of God's presence on us and in us. And we are called to be living lives that are bursting the veil between heaven and earth. And we've got an inheritance to claim. But our inheritance is not of land. It's of people. And the extra gift the Father gives to us is the church is the Holy Spirit, who equips us and enables us to fulfill the calling to bring life to the desert places of people's lives. So is anyone seeing this parallel? So never underestimate the story of a bride, a groom, and a father. Okay, note to self. All right. So we're gonna take one last step back, just to unpack this story a little bit. Um, and to say, Father, how does this story speak into my story? What are you saying to us? So, Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear, Lord God. I pray that you would give our hearts understanding. Father, we pray that you would teach us and that you would change us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you are just starting to read your Bible, or maybe you read your Bible every day for years, um, that's a great way to start. When you sit down with the Word of God, just say, Lord, teach me. Teach me through your Word. Give me ears that I could hear what it is that you're saying. All right, so the title of my preach this morning is called Springs in the Negev and Axaw people. And actually during the prayer time before um, we started this morning, uh, Christian brought a word that last week, wherever there's an action, there's a reaction, if anyone remembers that in science class. Um, and last week, there was this word of this waterfall rushing over us. And so he said, it's going to be coming from the ground now. It's going to be like springs, like a, a geyser bursting from the ground. So it's the title of my preach, Springs and the Negev. So it's very true. Um, so because Axaw was the bride in our story, and we are the bride of Christ, for me, the big question today is, what does it look like to be an Axel people? This young bride was mindful of three things. She knew that she was called to claim her inheritance, to be fruitful and multiply in the land. And she knew the context, she knew the context of her inheritance, that it was, it was dry, it was arid, she, it was basically a desert. And she knew that she was going to need springs in the desert if she was actually going to be able to um, grow and sustain life there. And then finally, she knows her Creator. She knows the favor and the blessing and the generosity and the attentiveness of her father. So those are our three things. She knows the calling to claim her inheritance. She knows the context of that inheritance. And she knows the creator who gave it to her. So calling. So the name Axel means two things, as I mentioned earlier. Adorned and bursting the veil And we are called to be a people who are adorned with the splendor and the glory of the presence of God on us. And Ezekiel 16 describes what God does for us when we are in a relationship with him. And this is starting in verse 8. This is Ezekiel 16. It says, I entered into a covenant with you so that you became mine, declares the Lord God. Then I bathed you, I anointed you, I also clothed you, I adorned you with ornaments and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver. You were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. Then your fame went forth among the nations on account of your beauty. Your beauty was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed upon you, declares the Lord God. So when we get saved, we sang it in the song. We become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are adorned with the glory of God. But it's all the work of Jesus. It actually has nothing to do with us. It says here in the text, I made you mine. I made you beautiful. I made you perfect. I made you noticeable. It was because of me and my glory that I put on you. The beauty of us as God's people is his presence and his glory in our lives. The living God on us and in us. And when we allow him to shine through us, through our words, through our lives, through our actions, that is a beauty that will make the world stop and notice. And the more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. And the more we become like him, it's actually his presence in our lives that overflows and pours out for others. So at the end of our bed, we have this plush gray blanket. I've told this story recently. Um, and the one day, it was about two, three months ago, I was sitting on my bed, just praying and reading the word. And I was just really enjoying um. I'm with the Lord and I just had this very cheeky little thought come to mind and I said, Jesus, I want you to walk through my bedroom door and I want you to come sit right here on this gray blanket with me um, because the blanket holds any imprint I really, I wanted Jesus's bum print on my blanket um, I just was so desperate to, just to be so close to him and so when I opened my eyes and I, I checked the blanket it lay there just as it had been completely undisturbed but yet, I've, before I could even get discouraged, I felt God say to me, don't, don't worry about me leaving an imprint on your blanket. Rather, take courage in the fact that I'm leaving an imprint on your heart. So I realized, I re- as much as I still would love his imprint on my, on my blanket, I realize how much greater and truly supernatural is the imprint and the impact that Jesus makes in our hearts and our lives when we spend time with him, praying, reading his word, talking to him, worshiping him, keeping company with him. We don't spend time with Jesus so we can tick the good Christian box like we've done our duty for the day. We spend time with Jesus because there's no greater place to be than in his presence, to enjoy him and to know him. I've been seeing these um, Pinterest, I don't know, it's like bumper sticker language, like live your best life. Do you want to live your best life? Do you know what your best life is? It's living in his presence. That's your best life. And the divine daily exchange that occurs when we spend time with him is that we become more like him. Um, One of my best friends from varsity, I studied in the States, and she actually married a full yun, so she's living in Pretoria now, so it's so fun having her... um, that much closer. And her children go to the same schools. as Clinton Ellen's kids. I don't know if you know Clinton Ellen. They're the darlings of, of Glenridge for many, many years, um, loved by everyone. And they've moved up to Pretoria. They're with Rory now at 3CI. And Chris and Ellen have become friends because they see each other. Their kids are in school together. And a couple times they've gone for tea and I always hear about it. So Chris will phone and she'll be like, I've just spent the morning with Ellen. Um, We had tea together, and it is the strangest thing. She's like, I feel like I've just spent the whole morning with you. It is unbelievable how much she reminds me of you. Just the way she talks about things, what she says, um, the language that she uses just reminds me so much of you. And then not even like 10 minutes later, I'll I'll hear from Ellen. Just spent the morning with Chris. It is the weirdest thing. I feel like I've just had the day with you because she reminds me so much of you. Her mannerisms, the way she talks with her hands, and um, it just reminds me so much of you. So why is that? Why is it that we become so much like each other? Well, it's not rocket science. It's just because we spend time together. That's all it is. We spend time together, and in the process, we become more like each other. We rub off on each other. We spend time with Jesus to know him and to enjoy him, and in the process, he rubs off on us. And he leaves his imprint in our hearts and in our lives. So that what I'm offering to the world is less of myself and more of Jesus. What I'm offering to my workplace and to my family is less of myself and more of Jesus. And there have been a couple times when grandma's like, honestly, babe, you need to go and spend some time with Jesus. I was offering a little bit too much of myself there. But um, as amazing and wonderful as I do think I am, and my husband agrees with me on this one. um, <laughs> <laughs> to offer people Jesus in my, inter- inter- in my interactions with them leaves a far greater and lasting imprint in their lives than I ever could. Um, and because of the beauty of his presence in our lives, people will notice. Um, we need to be walking as men and women who are adorned with the splendor and the glory and the presence of God in us and on us. As those who have been with Jesus, it speaks about in Acts 4 in relation to Peter and John, as men who had been with Jesus. Um, His presence in us can be very perplexing, but it is uh, totally compelling, and it is deeply attractive. When Graham and I first met in Australia, he wasn't actually saved, and he's like, there's just something that oozes out of you, it's amazing. And it was like the best compliment I ever received. And I was like, that's Jesus. And obviously not being saved, he was like, yeah, I don't know about that. But okay. Anyway, he eventually got saved. And he realized it really was Jesus who was oozing out of me. So um, he in us is Moorish to the world. What they see, what they experience, what they taste in us, because it's actually him. It leaves people wanting more. So we are called to be people who are adorned with the splendor and the presence of God in our lives. Who are bursting the veil. We are living in the victory that Christ has already won. The veil has been torn by the power and the victory of Christ. And we as, bel- as believers, we carry that resurrection life and power in us. That's bursting the veil between heaven and earth. Didn't we sing about it? It's the veil is getting very thin. Um, because of our calling. We are called to be light in a dark world. We are called to be salt in a decaying world. We are called to be life in a dying world, healing in a diseased world. We are called to be the foretaste of heaven that is to come here on earth right now. That is the thinness of the veil of heaven. Bursting the veil is what we're called to be. So that we can claim and cultivate the land of our inheritance, adorned with the presence of God and bursting the veil between heaven and earth. Alright, so our context. We are called to be people like Aksa who know the context of our inheritance. As believers, we are co-heirs with Christ. Romans tells us that. So his inheritance, Jesus' inheritance, is our inheritance. The nations are his inheritance, so the nations are Our. our inheritance. The ends of the earth, our possession. And unlike the book of Joshua, I said this already, our inheritance is not in land. It's in people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, people are our inheritance, from the one right in front of us to the one who is far from us. So what is the context of our inheritance? What is the landscape of people's lives? What is the landscape of people's souls? Um, So we're going to turn to Ezekiel 37. I think this will give us a very vivid picture of what that looks like. Um, I'm going to be reading in verse 1 of Ezekiel 37. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Jumping to verse 11, he said to me, Son of man, behold, this is what these bones say. These bones say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. That right there, that is the context of our inheritance. That is the landscape of people's souls, completely cut off from all life and from all hope. Verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open up your graves and cause you to come out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it. You and I, the church, we are called to prophesy life to these dry bones. We are called to cultivate the soil of people's hearts with the seed of the gospel and the power of Jesus' name. We are called to water that seed with his victorious life that flows from the throne of heaven in us and through us. And we are called to trust God and intercede for people as he is the one who brings the growth and brings the life and brings the fruit. Every day for Easter, every day is Easter for us as believers. We have the risen risen Jesus living inside of us and it's his power that is moving through us. And the message of hope that we carry is that Jesus is alive and in him we live. That is the good news. That is the gospel. We need to be a people who go so people can experience life. That's the gospel. Go so people experience life. Gospel. And our context, we know what the context looks like now. Our context calls us to be and to bring the springs and the life of God here on earth. Um, from heaven down to earth, wherever we are, wherever we go. <clears throat> we are called to be and to bring hope in desperate, in desperate situations, like Rosie going um, to Iraq and Syria and Turkey and bringing the hope of Jesus through medicine. Love in the midst of hatred. Love is a language that, that breaks any culture, that speaks to any culture, it transcends any language barrier. We are called to be and to bring comfort and joy. In moments of deep grief and trouble. Peace in the flux and the chaos of anxiety. And we can be and bring peace in chaos because it's Jesus who lives in us. And we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he operates on the frequencies of heaven where there is complete and total order. Because Jesus is the one who is reigning on the throne. We are called to be and to bring kindness into people's lives and the hearts of those who are hurting from the child who spilled their milk, I'm speaking to myself and my reactions as a mom, or to a family who's journeying through loss and they need a family delivered to them. We are called to be and to bring kindness to those people. We are called to be and to bring goodness in the presence of evil, gentleness in the face of fear and violence. And we are called to be and bring mercy where punishment is deserved. And sometimes, oftentimes, That looks like being unoffendable, where we extend grace and we extend mercy, rather than taking up an offense and holding a grudge, we offer the other cheek instead of turning a cold shoulder, where we are slow to anger and where mercy triumphs over judgment. Because we know the context of our inheritance, we are called to be the good news of Jesus, we are called to bring the good news of Jesus to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. So, um, lastly, our Creator. We are called to be a people like Aksa who know the Creator who gave us this inheritance. We have to be a people who know and go to the Father. A couple of weeks ago, Stan spoke about being hungry and humble. And I feel like that is such an apt description of where we are right now. We are so hungry for more of Him. And we are, our hearts are humble for more of him. We, how do we do that? As we look at Axel's life, how do we do that? Axel was actually, they were off on their honeymoon. So I would, they were literally going to consummate their marriage. So I would say that was a pretty inconvenient time to stop um, the journey that they were on. But she knew the calling and she knew the need of her context. So she quickly got down off her donkey and she asked her father for springs. Raymond尼斯 nice put it this way. She got off her ass and did something about it. <laughs> Just for the record those are not my words, those are Raymond's words that's R A Y We need to stop what we're doing and allow ourselves to be inconvenienced. We need to humble ourselves before the Father and ask Him by His Spirit to equip us and enable us with streams that flow from the throne of heaven so that He can water the desert places of our own lives and the desert places where we're headed. Because we are called to be and bring the springs of the Father into desert situations and into the dry bones of people's lives. And the only way we will ever be a taste of of heaven on earth is if we allow the living water in the springs of heaven to flow in and through us and allow him to be the one who makes the lasting imprint um, on people's hearts through our lives. So Axel went to her father with such freedom. And in the story, we see the favor and the blessing of the father. We see the attentiveness of the father. And we see the generosity of the father. Axon knew her father's heart, and she knew the favor that she had with him. Matthew 7, verses 8 through 11 say this, What man is there among you, who when his sons ask for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And in the account of Luke, it says, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So our little family is basking in the glory and the favor and the blessing of my parents. Um, Shalana came with a word that we need to be walking in the favor of Father, and I'm literally walking in the favor of my Father. I've had my eye on these shoes for quite a while. And I, and I got this as well, and our pantry has never seen so much food. We're actually sticking food in with the bowls now because um, the pantry, no, there isn't enough space. And um, our fridge is just packed to the nines. It's like, where are the olives? I'm like, I don't know, behind the biltong. Like, I'm like, whose house is this? Maybe it's by the dried mango and the really expensive nuts. I don't know. Um, the only, the only reason why I say all that um, is because this scripture actually says that my dad is evil compared to the goodness and the favor of our Heavenly Father. How much more favor do we walk in with our Heavenly Father? He did not even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. It's one of my favorite scriptures. That's the favor of the Father, all things. And we see the attentiveness of the Father. Psalm 121 speaks of that. And it says, he who watches over you will neither slumber nor sleep. What that's saying is that he's watching over you. He's not falling asleep. He's not even getting drowsy. That's how attentive he is to you. I need a little bit of help with that when my kids are doing their homework. He's he's not even drowsy when he's watching over you. And finally, we see the generosity of the Father's heart. And the Father gives more than what she ever even asks for. He provides the upper springs and the lower springs so that all of our inheritance would have access to water. With the upper springs, the Father empowers our lives supernaturally with the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And with the lower springs, the Father equips our hands naturally with skills and talents and training. But whether it's natural talent or supernatural ability, we can rest in the fact that it all comes, all of it comes, from the generosity of the Father's hands. So that no matter where we are, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, when we join the great story of our Creator, we can trust that He will provide all we need and the tools for the task To bring a dead and dried up world back to himself and back to life. As the practical love of Jesus and the living water of heaven flows through us. And he nourishes the driest of souls and the most barren of situations. Like Axel, we need to be bold in our asking. We need to be expectant in his presence. We need to be courageous in our going because it says in Ephesians 3.20 that he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And that is the beauty and the generosity of our Father. And this just isn't a once-off encounter, but is constantly daily spending time with him, asking him for more. Humbling ourselves and asking him for more. And this season, I've already mentioned it, that it's this deep hunger that is in us, like like the deer who pants after streams of water. So our souls are yearning for the living God, longing for his presence, desperate for more of him. As individuals, that's where it starts. It's got to start with us at home in the quiet place. And as a community. Jean Guthrie came at the beginning of the year, and she said something that I've kind of been mulling over since she said it. She said, there's a big difference between having a well inside of you and having rivers flowing through you. And then she said, complacency is the sleeping pill of the church. And I feel like, friends, this is a wake-up call for all of us. I feel like God is saying, get up and get ready. God is not selecting this elite Avengers team who are going to fight the end game. This is not a time when God is raising up a few gifts in the church who are operating. But I'm convinced that what God is doing is raising up a priesthood who are operating in the gifts because we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's you and me. We are the priesthood. Everyone needs a seaway in their life. Thank you, my seaway. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, may God mold us all to believe that it is possible now, not only for the rivers, but also the mightiness of his boundless ocean to flow through us. The mightiness of his boundless ocean to flow through us. And people have been prophesying and dreaming and having visions of this tidal wave of God that's coming, that's going to sweep us up and it's going to be amazing. And I think we've been waiting for maybe 10 years for this jolly tidal wave. And um, I don't mean it disrespectfully, because we're we're, we're like, "I I think it's coming. I think I can feel the mist. And we're just so excited for this tidal wave of God to just come and sweep us up. But I'm getting the sense that we're not actually meant to be standing and waiting on the shoreline. And in fact, with each passing day, I'm growing more and more convinced that with the mightiness of his boundless ocean ocean flowing through you in the front. And the mightiness of his boundless ocean flowing through you at the back. And his mightiness of his boundless ocean flowing through everyone in between. From the children. God is bringing them alive in him. From the children to the oldest person here. To the newest believer. To the person who's been walking with Jesus decade after decade after decade. I'm convinced that with the mightiness of his boundless ocean flowing through the priesthood of all believers, that's you and me, that together in him, we are the tidal wave of God. We are the tidal wave of God that's going to sweep people up because the waters that flow from the throne of heaven are flowing through you and me. And when the mightiness of the boundless ocean of God's power and God's presence is flowing through each and every one of us, together in him, we will become the tidal wave of God that overturns nations with the gospel and with the presence of Christ in us. Revival starts in us. It starts in you, and it starts in me. Rory Hessian says this, Revival in its essence is when the power of his spirit is demonstrated in our hearts, our lives, and our hands as the victorious life of Jesus fills us And overflows to others. And I don't want to hype you up this morning. I know I'm getting excited thinking about the mightiness of his boundless ocean flowing through us. But our message to the world is not in persuasive wisdom and persuasive words of wisdom. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul speaks about this in Corinthians. So that people's faith would not rest in the words of man but in the power of God. So it's time to be strong, friends. Let your heart take courage. May our hearts be hungry and humble for him. Let's be bold in our asking. Let's be expectant in his presence. Let's be courageous in our going and be totally blown away as we see God moving before our very eyes. The lame walk, the blind see, the hungry are fed, the sick are healed, the dead are raised. The gospel is preached, the lost are saved, the widows are cared for, cared for. The orphans are adopted into families, the broken are loved, and Jesus is glorified. This is how I want to answer someone when they ask me, "How was your day?" So what does it look like to be an Axaw people? I've got a picture up. This is what it looks this is what the Negev looks like. And here is what the Negev looks like when the springs water its land. When we know our creator, we will be Messiah-centered people, captivated by Jesus and his story. When we know our context, we will be moment-minded people, compelled by love for the one in front of us and the one far from us. And when we know our calling, we will be mission hearted people, catapulted by power, to be and to bring the springs in the desert. Amen.